It's the last chapter of Corinthians. That, do you know what that means? That means there's a new series coming up. That's exciting. A fresh, a fresh season for us. Uh, next week, incidentally, is what we call our Vision Day, where Chuck will come and it'll be a little bit of like an annual review, looking back at what God has done over the past 12 months and then casting some vision for the year ahead. So that's one not to miss next week. But today, we're going to wrap up uh, Corinthians. And we're looking at generosity. Okay, we're looking at generosity, and some of what we'll explore this morning is financial generosity, and some of it is not financial at all. Uh, Because our God is a generous God, isn't he? He's a generous God. And if we're a Christian here this morning, then we want to imitate God our Father, and we want to be generous people. The Bible says that the enemy, Satan, he's a thief, but God He's a giver. He gives. He is generous. And so we're going to look at that this morning. When it comes to the money stuff, I just want to say this. Often we apologize, don't we? I'm really sorry, everyone, this morning. Uh, We're going to talk about money. And we we don't like talking about money because it seems awkward and it seems embarrassing. And, And the truth is we don't talk about it that often. But Do you know, Jesus talked about money in 16 out of 38 of his parables. So if we get a bit technical about that, that's actually 42.1% of his parables. He mentioned money. So that's just under half of his parables. He mentioned money. So I think he wasn't embarrassed to talk about it. It wasn't awkward for him. So I don't see why it should be for us. So I'll throw that out there now, get that out. But like I say, some of what we're looking at this morning is about money, and some of it is just about being generous in other ways. So... Why don't we turn to chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to go from verse 1. Now, about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they'll accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I'll come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I'll stay with you for a while, or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey, wherever I go. For I don't want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits but I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he's carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I'm expecting him along with the brothers. We're just going to skip to verse 13. Be on guard, Paul says. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. Amen. That's the word of God to us today. Okay. There's four things I want to look at this morning in terms of living generously. All right? Now, the context of this passage, at the start of the passage where Paul starts talking about money... He's talking about to the church in Corinth about taking a special offering, okay? He's not talking about what they give on a Sunday to the church. He's not talking about their normal kind of giving to the church life. He's talking about let's take an offering for our friends in Jerusalem who are struggling, who are poor, who at the moment are suffering with famine and economic issues. We want to make sure that our brothers over there are taken care of. They've got food on their table. 
you know, that they're doing okay. That's what this collection is for. And so that's the context in which Paul is speaking about generosity and giving. Okay, so point number one for us today, generosity for us as Christians should be a priority. Generosity should be a priority. In verse 2, Paul says this, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money. On the first day of every week. Now, maybe in those days they got paid weekly, and so that's why Paul speaks to them like that and says, you know, it's every week you should be thinking about this. But the principle here for us, I believe, is that our giving should be the first thing that we think about when we get our pay. You know, the first thing that happens when we get our check and we think about what we've got to do with that money this month is how am I going to give it away? What if it's going to go to the church? What if it's going to go to bless other people? It's the first thing we think about, not the last, that we don't give out of the leftovers, but we make it a priority. That it's planned, it's intentional, it's budgeted for, and it's regular. You know, it says every week or every month for us. It's regular giving. And often when we've had talks in church before, you know, about our giving to the church, we talk about how it should be intentional, we should have prayed about it, we should plan for it, we should budget for it. And I believe Paul is saying it's exactly the same in this context as well, that the money that you want to give to bless other people, that that should be planned for, that should be written into your budget, that should be thought about and prayed about, that should be regular. You know, you can imagine the discussions that we could be having around our kitchen table who could we be blessing this month? Who do we know? Lord, help us. Tell us. Who, who, who could we give money to? Who could we bless? Who do we know that's struggling? The problem is that um, good intentions fail, don't they? I mean, it's the 31st of January today, and my New Year's resolutions have already gone down the pan. Uh, it, good intentions, Dave mentioned this to me yesterday. You know, he always thinks, I will tidy my half of the bedroom. And I think he wants to, but he never does. Intentions don't, <laughs> it's true, he said it himself. It, intentions aren't really good enough, are they, actually? When I've thought in the past, you know, Oh, I really would love to give some money to this person or to help this situation. And I have all those nice ideas and I just forget. I just forget to do it. But if we want to do it, we should take Paul's advice seriously here. Set it aside. Do it. Plan for it. Budget for it. So I just want to encourage us this morning to be deliberate about that. Being deliberate about being generous. I'm not talking about what you may or may not give to the church. I'm talking about other stuff, other ways that you might give to bless people. Be deliberate about it. And if the word budget makes your flesh crawl, if that makes you itchy, as, as it has done for me in the past, can I encourage you? Something that's really helped us is the CAP money course, CAP Christians Against Poverty. They're an organization that work to help people with their money. They run a course called the, Mon- the CAP money course. It's a two-part thing, and we're running it in March here in church. Keep your eye out for that. It's so brilliant. It's so brilliant. It's really helped us work out, you know... Um, just how to budget, basically. Simple as that. Come along, find out more about that. You'll see it starting to come up in the notices soon. The cap money course has been so helpful. If, if budgeting terrifies you, don't be terrified. Come and find out a bit more how you can make it simple and easy. The other thing I just want to throw out as a little bit of a pastoral advice. We've also found a brilliant app for our smartphones that's called Good Budget. And once you've set your budget with the help of 
e.g. CAP. You've set your budget. This app helps you track your spending. It helps you monitor how you're going. And it's really cool because like, I can go to Sainsbury's and do a food shop and I enter it in how much I spent. Dave can actually log on and it's a linked account. He logs on on his phone and he can see, oh, she's been to Sainsbury's and spent this. And so we both know where we're at with our budgeting. It's really, really helpful. So I just throw that out if that's any use to you. It's called Good Budget. I heard a story um, about a couple called Lauren and Darlene Cunningham. And Lauren is a man, by the way, even though that's a girl's name. They are the founders of YWAM. YWAM is a global, a huge international missions organization. And these two are the founders. Now, the person who was telling this story said he went to visit Lauren and Darlene Cunningham at the University YWAM campus, uh, which I think was in Hawaii, and he thought, you know, he was driving around this campus. It's enormous. And he's thinking, I'm just looking for the mansion. Because these guys, they founded YWAM. They'll have loads of money. They'll live in a big house. And this is the biggest of all the campuses around the world. Which one's their house? Looking for this big house. Turns out, they lived in a hotel. And he thought, or so he said, oh, you know, poor them. They must have no money because they live in a hotel. Perhaps hotels are really cheap in Hawaii because I'm not sure it would be the same here. But he said, oh, they lived in a hotel. So I just thought, oh, they've got no money. They're really not that rich. But no, it turned out that they just gave everything away. They lived a life there, but they just gave everything away. They lived this life that was a cycle of people blessing them and then passing it on. So, for example, someone saying, oh, those guys don't have a car. Let me give you a car. And then they said, oh, thanks for that car. Oh, look, they haven't got a car. Let's give them our car. And someone else going, well, they've not got a car. Let's give them a car. Oh, thanks for the car, but this person hasn't got a car, so I'm going to give it on. And they went through this cycle of continuously being blessed, but giving it away. That's what they were known for. They couldn't help it. Everything they had, they gave away. And they had a bunch of friends who one day, very generously, they clubbed together and they bought them a house. And they were like, we really want to bless them. This will be great for them. We'll give them a house. You know, they had to get a lawyer to write a clause into the contract to say, you're not allowed to give it away. Because they knew that's what they would do. They just couldn't help it. For them, it was their priority to live generously. And so it should be for us. Living generously should be a priority. Okay, number two. I've got hair everywhere. Generosity. No one is excluded. Um, Rachel mentioned earlier that we have lots of different services as part of City Church. Even here at Guilt Park, we have three services because we have this 10 a.m. We have the 7 p.m. And on Monday night, we have a, a service that we call Lifestyle. And it's a gateway service. It's, it's um, for people who have got significant lifestyle issues. Uh, some of them struggle with addictions. Some of them are homeless. And it's kind of, we call it a gateway service. It's a condensed service. They come and they have dinner with us. And then we have a service. And so because it's a service, this is a recent development. It's always existed as a ministry since since God was a boy, lifestyle has been around. But it's a recent thing that we've said, no, we're going to make lifestyle a service. And so we do the countdown and we do the green cards and we have worship and we open the Bible and all of that. And recently we thought, do you know the one thing that we don't do at lifestyle is we don't take an offering We're going to take an offering because if we mean it, that this is a service, we take an offering at every other service, we should give people the opportunity to give if they want to. And so we've been doing that, that lifestyle. We've been taking an offering as part of the service. Let me tell you, there's been some really moving moments doing that. One story, um, a guy who's known for begging on the streets, he sits there in the cold and he begs and he collects money in his cup. One day he came to Lifestyle, and when that moment came for taking the offering, 
he walked to the front with his cup and he emptied it into the basket. Well, there was another guy who um, brought a pair of shoes and donated them to the storehouse. He brought these shoes deliberately knowing there's another guy here who is this size shoe and he's been desperate for months. He's been asking, have we got any shoes in my size? And he had some, so he bought some and he donated them to storehouse. I love that. Making an opportunity for people to give and people giving even out of their poverty. No one is excluded. Paul says in verse 2, each one of you should set aside a sum of money. Each one of you. He doesn't say, you know, those of you that are employed, set aside a sum of money. Those of you that are rich, why don't you set aside a sum of money? He doesn't say those of you with the spare cash, you set it aside. He doesn't even say those of you that are over 18, have moved out of home and are self-sufficient, you set aside a sum of money. He says each one of you set aside a sum of money. It's not about how much we give. It's about how we give, you know. That's what Paul says, it should be in proportion to what we have Verse 2, he says it should be in keeping with your income. You might be familiar with the story that Jesus tells about a poor widow. And she comes to the temple and she puts her one little coin in the offering. And Jesus says, I love that. I love what she just did. Because what she gave cost her something. She doesn't have much, but she gave something. And it means more to me than that enormous donation that very rich man put in. Because that's a drop in the ocean for him. That didn't hurt him. That didn't even scratch the surface. But her offering really meant something. And so some of us, we hear these kind of talks and this teaching and we think, yeah, but that's not for me because, well, I'm in debt or I'm a student and I live off a student loan or, you know, just money is really, really tight for me. This, this can't be for me. I want to just say that everything we have, whether we have a lot, whether we have a little, whether we have a loan, everything we have is not ours. It's God's provision for us. Whether that's our big salary, our little salary, whether it's student loan, that's God's provision for us. And when we give, we're just giving back to him. We're giving back to him. It is for you. Each one of us should set aside a sum of money. You know what? Jesus knew that this was tough teaching. When Jesus was walking the earth with his disciples, he told this story, there was a story of him meeting a rich man, and he said to the rich man, Give all you have away, get rid of all your stuff. And the rich man couldn't do it. It said he walked away and he was sad because he couldn't do it. He couldn't give. They couldn't give all of his stuff away. And, you know, so he walked away sad. And then it seemed like the disciples watched this happen and they were deflated. And it says that they kind of went, well, Jesus, who then can be saved? No, you said that. I mean, that's, that's a tough call, Jesus. Who can be saved if that's the kind of thing you're asking from us? And Jesus says, I know. It is hard, isn't it? He said it's harder for a rich man to go through, or is it, sorry, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's hard. Jesus knows that, and we know that. Nothing is certain in life, is it, when it comes to our finances? You know, we know the climate at the moment in Aberdeen with the oil industry. Redundancy looms for many people, has already hit many people. Uh, mortgage rates can fluctuate. Nothing, nothing is certain. But you know what? I, I, I believe this is true, even though it, it's hard to swallow. I believe it's true that our wallet measures our heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The Bible says that. But I think out of the overflow of the heart, the wallet speaks. 
I think that's just as true. I think what Jesus says with that parable about the, wise, uh, the rich man giving away his stuff, he says, you know what, if you can't give away, if you can't be generous, there's something wrong with your heart. But the brilliant thing is, I know someone who can change our hearts. Do you know, you'll hear stories, I could stand here and tell you stories of Christians who would say, God is so amazing. I felt God tell me to give my holiday fund away to someone else who hadn't had a holiday for 10 years. And so I did that. And then you know what? The next day, I got offered a free holiday. Or you might hear stories of, um, I gave my car away and, and then, you know, the next week, someone posted 10 grand through my door. That kind of stuff happens because God is amazing. Honestly, those stories happen. I don't have one of those stories, okay? But I want to say this as some form of encouragement to you. Despite not having one of those stories, even though they happen, I want you to know that I try to live generously and I give my money to the church and I try to budget to give generously to other people and bless people. And sometimes I've done that and it seemed ridiculous. Like if you actually do that, Hazel, I'm not sure that the books will balance this month. But I've tried to be obedient to God and I've always been okay. I want to say that. I know that's not the big, glamorous, exciting story, but I want to tell you that God provides for our needs when we're faithful to him and when we give and we live generously. God provides stuff. Something happens when we give. It's like somehow it just unlocks a bit more of God's abundant blessing in our life. And I'm not saying that's always money, but he provides for our every need. And our generous God extends an invitation to all of us to respond to his great love by showing that generosity to other people. Okay, number three, cha-ching. Generosity is about consistent hospitality. Verse 10, when Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he's with you, for he's carrying on the work of the Lord. See that he has nothing to fear. Oh, Timothy, Timothy. We don't know much about Timothy, but we know that he's young, all right? There's a letter to Timothy that comes after this, which refers to him being young, where Paul says to him, don't let people look down on you because you're young. That letter came later than this one, right? So if Timothy was young in that letter, he's even younger right now. Timothy was young. Scholars seem to think that Timothy was anxious. You know, Paul had sent him to the church in Corinth with this letter, and you know he was he was maybe a bit intimidated because he was young, and there's all these older believers than him. They maybe patronised him. I don't I don't know. But what Paul says is, look, I'm sending him to you. Please look after him. Don't intimidate him. Don't patronise him. Make sure he's all right. Take care of him. Make sure he eats well and cleans behind his ears. You know, show him hospitality. Make sure he's all right. The heart of our generous God is that we extend a generosity of spirit to one another. Do everything in love. That's what Paul said in verse 14. Do everything in love. Some of you might be familiar with the story of Christian the lion. Anyone know who Christian? You know? Right, okay, I only discovered this recently. There's a story, a true story of Christian the lion. In 1969, it's absolutely true, Two men, uh, John and Ace, who knows if that's his real name, John and Ace, they were on a trip in London, they were in Harrods, and they saw a lion cub for sale. I didn't even know that that was possible, but it was in 1969 anyway. And so they, they saw this caged little cute lion cub, and they were like, let's buy him, let's buy him. So they bought the lion, 
and they took him home to their London flat, which probably wasn't very spacious, but was maybe bigger than a cage. And they used to um, let him run around in the grounds of a local church. There was a vicar that said, yeah, that's fine. And for two years, he was their pet, <laughs> a lion cub. And they loved him. But sadly, the day came when little little baby Christian was not so baby anymore and and he outgrew their flat and it was very difficult for them to live with him and so the owners they had no choice but really to send him back into the wild and to reintroduce him to Africa and so they did that they said goodbye to him and it was it was a painful goodbye they loved this little lion but they knew that's what they needed to do a year later they thought let's go and visit him Let's see how he's doing. So off they went to Africa, and people told them, don't do it. Experts, people that were around this line, they said, you know what, he is now in charge of his pride, and he's really wild. If you go looking for him, you're putting your life at risk. He won't know who you are. He's really dangerous. Don't, don't do it. But they were like, nah, whatever. He's our pet. It's fine. And so off they went, and they spent hours, days probably, looking, searching for the lion. And then the moment came where they clapped eyes on him. And Christian the lion stood at a distance and watched and slowly started walking towards them. And as he got closer, his walk turned into a, would you say a trot? No, a canter. I'm using the wrong terms here. He started to run. The lion started to run towards them, but not in a kind of aggressive, attacking way. He ran towards them. He saw them. He leapt up. He put his arms around their necks and he cuddled them. He cuddled the two men. He was being reunited with his owners. He knew exactly who they were. You know, this church, the church is, all churches, we are God's people and this is God's house. This is a home, okay? And no one should be ignored in their home. If, if you're ignored in your own home, there's something wrong, isn't there? There's a problem there. So if this is our home, people, then we want to be really excellent, warm, welcoming, hospitable hosts, don't we? We want to be brilliant hosts. The role of hosting is not limited to the people that wear the t-shirt that say hosts. There's a few of them around. They do a fantastic job. But you know what? If this is your home, if this is your church, you're all a host, you should all have that t-shirt on. If this is your home, then you are a host. And so I want to challenge us this morning to think about what that might mean for us. What does it mean for me to be a better host? For some of us, it's making a better use of the turny, roundy bit. You know, instead of checking our phones or um, talking to the person we came with, why don't we do what it's meant for and look for someone that we don't know and go and make a new friend? Or maybe for some of us, it's about, you know what, I'm always late for church. I should just get there 10 minutes early. That way I can speak to the people that are visiting because often our visitors come early. I can go and meet some new people. I can be a great welcome to somebody. Perhaps... I love this idea. Wouldn't it be so good if all of us took it really seriously about inviting people into our homes? On a Sunday lunch, how easy would it be to just have a little bit extra food in the cupboard and then be able to spontaneously chat to someone after church and go, do you want to just come back to ours for lunch? Why don't you come? How great would that be, especially if that was someone's first week? Imagine that. They said, oh, do you know what? The first time I went to City Church, I got invited for lunch. That is so brilliant. What a way to build community to bless the family to be a brilliant host and bless people in the same way christian the lion remembered his owners the way that we show generous hospitality can have a permanent impact on someone 
The way we show hospitality can have a permanent impact on someone. And we don't want to be dis- discriminate. Uh, I can't speak. We don't want to discriminate with that. We want to be consistent. That's why I said consistent hospitality. It's come as you are at this church, everybody. Whether you're like me or you're not like me, whether you think like me or you don't think like me, whether you're black or white or young like Timothy or old, I don't care whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. Come as you are. You're welcome here. This is our home and the doors are open to you. I want to tell you about Mainly Music. Uh, some of you maybe not, don't even really know what Mainly Music is, but it's a music group for parents and young children that, that runs all over the world, but we run a group here on a Wednesday. And I tell you, it's so exciting. I pop in from time to time, and what is happening there is so brilliant. It is packed every week with mothers and some fathers and young toddlers, and there is always a waiting list because it's good. People like Mainly Music, and we serve coffee and cakes, and there's just a really great opportunity to mingle and meet with parents who are from this community. They all live around here, but I tell you, 95% of them don't know Jesus. They don't come to our church. They're not Christian. In fact, many of them aren't even British, you know. They're, they're, it's a really multicultural group, but they love coming. Now, one mum recently had to move on from mainly music, and uh, this was a lady who'd moved here, I think from the Middle East maybe, and she wrote this on her Facebook page. I love this. A year ago, we started a new life in a new place, a new culture, with new faces, with a two-year-old girl holding my hand, opening her eyes wide to absorb the new stuff. We started to go to one of the dearest places in my heart, a playgroup. It became a second home. We look forward to it every Wednesday with lovely people who never made us feel outsiders from day one. That journey came to its end today, our last time to go to Mainly Music. But Mainly Music, thank you for what you've brought to our lives. We are forever grateful. That stunned me. That is, wow. Mainly Music, a couple of hours a week here, you know, made a real impact on her life. This lady had no family in the UK, but she loved coming here. You know, she never made a commitment to Jesus. She never came here on a Sunday morning. We don't, we don't push that stuff at Mainly Music, but she certainly felt the generous love of Jesus and the generous love of our team and a consistent hospitality. And it made a difference to her. I love that. Can I encourage us to take that seriously? Generous hospitality, whether it's welcoming new people and visitors through our doors on a Sunday or, you know, inviting people in. Remember Christmas? Remember how fun Christmas was when we hosted hundreds of people in our home here, didn't we? Over various services. And they came because we invited them. They came because we invited them. And you know, that stuff about inviting your friends to church, that's not just for Christmas. You can do that anytime, okay? You have permission, and I urge you, please do that. Please invite people to come to our church. Please introduce people to Jesus. Please invite your local mum friends or dad friends to bring their kids to Mainly Music. Please invite them to Alpha so they can explore faith. If you don't invite them, who will? We want to host people. Eventually, we want to lead them to the most generous person of all. But the first step is having them here so we can bless them and love them. We want to be a people of radical hospitality and generosity of spirit. Okay, my last point this morning. Generosity is a personal investment. 
Um, anyone here like chocolate? <laughs> Don't deny it. It's, it's, it's everyone, isn't it? Come on. So if you're a chocolate fan, you're probably familiar with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Classic film. Terrible remake with Johnny Depp. I like to stick to the original. It was a 70s, early 80s film. Anyway, the story of uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, uh, there's a character in, within that called Augustus Gloop. And he's German, or at least he is in the film. I don't know if he's in the book. Augustus Gloop. He is a child who wins a golden ticket and he gets to go and look around Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. But Augustus Gloop is known for being greedy. He is known for being gluttonous. He's overweight and he lives on a diet of meat and chocolate, which I think sounds tremendous. But that's what he's known for. And so he goes into the chocolate factory and he's on the tour and he's wowed, just like all the other children are. And there's this moment where he spies the river of chocolate. I tell you, if I saw that river, I'd be swimming in it but he spied the river of chocolate and he did probably what most normal people would want to do and he knelt down and he started lapping up the chocolate from the river but Willy Wonka says no no don't do that that's dangerous don't do that and in his greed he's like I don't care what you say and he continues to lap the chocolate and he gets so into it that he falls into the river and then the the stream kind of carries him away and he gets sucked up an extraction pipe and he is never seen again Poor Augustus. Greed and selfishness are really the opposite of generosity, aren't they? Greed. And it's so dangerous. Greed and selfishness, they're dangerous. And do you know what? I think part of the danger of it is that they're quite hard to spot. It's not always easy to see when we're being greedy or selfish. Augustus Gloop's mother when questioned about why he was so greedy said, he's not greedy, he wouldn't eat if he doesn't need to. We can be blind to greed and selfishness. And Paul says in verse 13, be on your guard. Be on your guard. In a culture that says it's perfectly acceptable to accumulate uh, property and possessions and to look out for yourself and make sure that you're okay and you're comfortable and you're happy, greed can be totally camouflaged in a materialistic world. And Paul says, be on God that you don't get sucked into that. This world will want to suck you into selfishness. This world will want to stop you being generous. Don't let the world stop you being selfless and generous and hospitable as a follower of Jesus. He says, be on God, stand firm in your faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. And they're lovely words, aren't they? That's rousing, and you're like, yes, Stand firm. It's like Braveheart or something, isn't it? Yes, come on. Stand firm. Be courageous. Be strong. I'm going to do all those things. But how do we do those things? How do we get there? How do we stay on God? How do we stay strong? How do we get courage and strength? It comes from investing your time in a relationship with Jesus. From walking closely with him and allowing him to speak into your life from soaking in the truth that's in his word, from allowing his Holy Spirit to fill us. If generosity is about giving, then we need to be generous in giving our time to God. There's a a popular diet 
called the five to two diet. People are familiar with that? The, the, the idea is, and apparently it's, it's really good for helping you lose weight and supposedly makes you live longer. But the idea is for five days of the week, you can kind of eat what you want within reason. But for two days of the week, you have what they call a fast day, you know, and you, you eat very, very little. And it's good for your health. You know, with Jesus, it's not like that. With our relationship with God, it's not like that. He is our daily bread. He is meant to be our daily bread. We don't come to church on a Sunday and like stock up for the week so that we can have days in the week where we survive on very little. It's not meant to work like that. He is our daily bread. So if we want to avoid spiritual malnutrition, we've got to have our daily sustenance, haven't we? We need to invest time in our relationship with Jesus, be generous with our time with him. There was a Sunday morning in 1984 where, as was the case, ITV used to broadcast live worship from a church. And on one particular Sunday in 1984, should you have been watching, you would have seen me on the stage with uh, my little Sunday school friends as we all rushed to the front to, uh, to lead our congregation in a rendition of that popular song based on Jesus' parable in Matthew 7. The wise man built his house on the rock. I was at the front with my knee-high socks and my tartan dress, proudly doing the actions. Jesus tells this story. The wise man builds his house on the rock. He has solid foundations so that the house will stand firm when the storms come. But the foolish man, he built his house on sand. And so the question that I, wanna, I want us to ask ourselves today are we building our houses on sandy ground? You know, the sandy ground of church services and then a little handful of sand maybe from the occasional small group and a little handful of sand from, well, my parents took me to church. So we kind of do this quick build where we shovel together a little bit of sand and make a kind of rubbishy house. Or am I really taking time to build my foundations, to spend time with God? to make a sure and solid foundation built on the rock of Jesus. Because we know, don't we, that when the foundations are right, the house will stand firm. When the winds of selfishness and the winds of materialism come and try and knock us down. But when we have a relationship with Jesus and we give him our time, he gives back to us many things, but he will give to us and pour into us strength and wisdom and the ability to stand firm and courage and all those things that Paul tells us to have. When we invest time with him, he will give that back to us. And he will keep our hearts in check. You know, because it's not wrong to have money and stuff and property and all that. That's not wrong. But when that stuff matters to us more than Jesus matters or more than blessing other people, then that's when it's wrong. And if we're in a relationship with Jesus and we're asking him to keep us in check, he will. He will. If we allow him to speak to us, he will. So we need to be generous with the time that we give to Jesus. It's a personal investment for us. I just want to finish uh, by reminding, of us, reminding us of a moment that happened here uh, earlier this year. In fact, I think it was like the, the first service in January. There was a, a powerful and kind of prophetic moment where somebody shared uh, a sense that God was speaking to us as a church at the start of the year to say, you know, we have a choice about whether this year we decide to walk with God, to walk where he asks us to walk, or whether we choose to walk our own way. And uh, the prayer is, you know what, Lord, these are your shoes, but would you take them wherever you want? You know, they're your shoes. I'll wear them. You tell me where to go. You gave me these shoes. I just want to be obedient to where you want to take them. 
And in that moment, on that Sunday, almost like as a symbol of, of that uh, moment of submission, many people, and some of you will be here today, took off your shoes. Took off your shoes to say, Lord, symbolically, these are your shoes. And that's not the kind of thing we do every week. But that's what happened in that moment. And it was powerful. There were shoes everywhere. People saying, you know what, Lord, these shoes belong to you this year. I'm up for it. Wherever you want to take them, I'm up for it. And I think it's just really good for us to be reminded of that again this morning. Because some of us might have done that and felt like we've, we've not lived up to it. Or maybe we've said the equivalent to God in a different moment. It wasn't about the shoes, but we maybe said that to God and we know that we haven't lived up to it. Perhaps we had the good intentions of saying, I'm all in. I'll, I'll take these shoes wherever you say, but... We've not given God the time. We've not given him the time to say, okay, here's where I'd like you to go. Here's what I'd like you to do. We've not invested the time. But you know what? It's not too late. It's never too late with God. That's one of the amazing things about him. You can say it to him again today if you want to. We're going to make space to do that in a bit. It's not too late. We can tell him again today, Lord, I want to invest my life in you. Not just my shoes. Lord, I want to invest my finance. I want to invest my future my time, my heart, my all. I want to give it to you. I want to be generous, Lord, for you, for the sake of your kingdom. Our God is a generous God, and so we should be his generous people. Why don't you stand?